Welcome to the audio podcast of the Edward Jones Chatting Cage, the show where you can talk face-to-face with your favorite MLB players and personalities. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out another Edward Jones Chatting Cage. We're lucky to be joined by 1996 National League Rookie of the Year and current Marlins broadcaster Todd Hollinsworth. Todd, thanks for taking some time in the cage. Absolutely. Thrilled to be with you guys today. Thanks for having me. All right, fans, you know how this works. You can use the hashtag Chatting Cage, use the MLB Fans app, or on your webcam, press the button to get in line. You can ask your own questions of Todd. We're going to start with social media and the MLB Fans app. And the first question, Todd, is what made you want to become a broadcaster when your playing days were over? <laughs> Well, that's a great question, um, and that's uh, it's a complicated answer. I'm going to do my best to give you a 15 to 20 second answer. It's like this: I think every every baseball player, when he gets to the end of his career, has got to realize what he's going to do with the rest of his life. We're not golfers; we don't get to play till we're 70 years old, and 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 you know, go to the Champions Tour and do all these other things. When it's over, it's over. So no matter how much money you make, you have to figure out what in the world you're going to be. And I called some friends of mine in baseball. I called some general managers. I called some managers and uh, a lot of different people after a couple of years with my family and started to, you know, figure out what I was going to be. And through a friend of mine in Chicago, which kind of jump-started this whole thing, talked to Steve Stone. I talked to a David Kaplan, uh, my eventual partner in Chicago on Cubs pre- and post-games. Uh, they invited me into the broadcasting world, started, you know, kind of getting me going, and it took off from there. You had a neat advantage, the fact that you played for a lot of different teams. You had a lot of contacts around Major League Baseball in Chicago, obviously True. one of those. Miami, one of those. The Dodgers, one of those. We have a fan ready to go right now, Todd. Go ahead, tell us your name, where you're from, and ask your question for Todd. Uh, my name is Brayden, and I'm from California. And I want to ask you, what is your favorite MLB stadium? Hi, Brayden. I didn't hear that question, though. Can you, can you tell it to me again? Oh, uh, what is your favorite MLB stadium? Oh, my favorite MLB stadium. Okay, I hope you don't get mad at me, but I'm going to give you a mul multiple answers here, and here's why. Because so many different stadiums mean different things to me. My favorite stadium that I ever played in was Wrigley Field, but I think that's because there's so much history there. Now, it's becoming a newer stadium just because they're making a lot of changes around it, but I, you know, I really did fall in love with it as a visiting player originally. I also have to give the answer of Dodger Stadium because Dodger Stadium means the most to me personally. So I, there's, I, I guess my original answer is this. Chicago, Wrigley Field means the most to me on a lot of levels as a player Dodger Stadium meant the most to me. It's where I played my first big league ball game. It's where I got my first opportunity. It's where Tommy Lasorda, you know, welcomed me into my major league career and helped help me raise help raise me to be a big leaguer. So I kind of have two answers. Yeah, when you look at baseball right now in the older parks, obviously Wrigley's right there with Fenway, but Dodger Stadium now, right. one of the older, more traditional ballparks as well. So you certainly got to call some great ballparks home in your playing days. We have another fan ready to go. Go ahead, tell us your name, where you're from, and ask your question for Todd. Hi, I'm Lisa from Dallas. And my question was, well, first of all, um, I really miss you on the leadoff spot. But um, <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. That's okay. <laughs> My question was, um, do you miss Chicago or is Miami your new favorite place? That's a great question as well. Um, 
for my family and for the whole, this opportunity was an incredible one. I, I, I couldn't be happier to be with the Marlins. They've been very, very gracious to me. Rich Waltz is a dear friend of mine already. I've been here for a few months. I've just got a lot of great relationships with people here. They've done everything to make me feel at home and certainly make my family feel at home here in South Florida in Miami. So, yes, we are thrilled to be here. But to be honest with you, do I miss Chicago? Sure I do. I, I mean, we had so many great relationships and so many good friends and, and family and, and so many people that, that um, I, I do miss. So, you know, a lot of my family's reaction, and remember, I have four children, and, you know, they're kind of in the primes of their lives right now. Yeah, there's some days where they get a little mad at Dad that we're here, but there's a lot of great days when they watch this fun team. They see what Dad gets to do now. They see how involved he is with the Marlins. It's it's um, it's bittersweet, and I think that's probably the right way to answer it, but we couldn't personally, I couldn't be more happy to be here. We have a lot of Marlins questions, a lot of Cubs questions here as well. Uh, we're going to go to the EDJ question of the day, which swings Back to the Marlins as well. The question today, what will be unique about this year's All-Star Game in Miami? Oh, what will be unique? Well, I, I think just the South Miami style and flavor that's going to probably be a big part of this. I also think there's a great opportunity with a few of these Marlins players. And maybe that's the, the thing that I would say, first and foremost, maybe even better than my original answer would be this. The fact that we have, this Marlins team has a few players that I think are potentially going to get a lot of attention at the All-Star game that maybe they don't get because, number one, the team isn't winning nearly as much as they would like to this year. But that they haven't really been on that stage. I'll use Justin Bohr as an example. I think people are just now waking up and starting to see what Justin Bohr is really all about and how much power this young man has. He's having an incredible start, and he's got a great opportunity to be at the All-Star game. He's got to keep it up, but I think that's part of it. Maybe a Christian Yellis, Marcel Azuna, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, I could – Dan Straley, for crying out loud. I mean, I just gave you five great names right there, and I think all of them could potentially be All-Stars. Yeah, we need a full, healthy season for from Justin Bohr, that's for sure. 11 homers. Right. In in the month of May, he has been tremendous uh, for the Marlins all spring long so far uh, through two months of the season. We have another fan ready to go. Go ahead, tell us your name, where you're from, and ask your question for Todd. Hi, I'm Austin from Marlboro, New Jersey. While you eclipsed the 400 RBI plateau, you ended your career with 98 home runs. Does that bother you at all? And did it, did it motivate you to maybe want to play a little longer than you did? Uh, that's a great question as well. It's funny that you even noticed that. I get asked that question a lot. Um, it doesn't bother me. I don't know. I, I wasn't a, an individual who was motivated by numbers. I guess I was more motivated by accomplishment. And I know that in some ways that's kind of a – some people will say that numbers are recognition of accomplishment. But for me personally, I guess – I won the World Series, and I thought that was a really cool thing. I so desperately wanted to go to an All-Star game one year. I mean, I maybe had a couple shots at it, but I broke my leg a couple times. It didn't work out that I ever got there. I ended up winning the Rookie of the Year. Like Things like that actually mattered to me, and I think it's probably a little bit more of my personality than numbers themselves. And I think, you know, when people ask me that, you know, hey, you listen, you had 98 home runs or 99 home runs, and, you know, why, why wouldn't you, you know, play another year and get 100? I don't know. It was more important for me to be there for my wife and for my two sons at that time in my life. And I'd already played a good 12 years, and I, I was very satisfied. I also understood that I knew that I had a, another life to live as well, and it, it's kind of led me to what I do now in broadcasting. So to answer your question, I'm just not a person who was, like, overly motivated by, you know, plateaus with numbers. I think I was more about accomplishing things and, and you know, maybe winning trophies. That, that mattered more to me. 
You've mentioned a lot of the teams. The Dodgers, obviously, rookie of the year there. The Cubs, some good time winning the World Series with the Marlins. Overall, you played with mm -hmm. eight teams, Todd. And that brings us back to social media. Ralph23 wants to know, all those teams, all those teammates, who is your favorite teammate? <laughs> I have a lot of friends. And, you know, and here's the, the blessing of what I, get, what I do now in broadcasting is that I get to see – I get to see so many teams that I get to be involved. I get to come down to batting practice every day, and I get to talk about a lot of guys um, who at one time played but who are now some, some coaches, some players. I use the Arizona Diamondbacks as an example. I mean, like people don't know this stuff. Like the president of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Derek Hall, was worked with me when I was the Dodger coming up. He was kind of doing what I was doing way back when I was a rookie of the year. He was my media relations director, starting out with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now he's the president of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, I, yeah, I, my, my best friend in all the world in the game of baseball is David Hanson. He happens to be the hitting coach of the Anaheim Angels. And so I got to see him just recently uh, a couple of series ago, and it was great to catch up with him and his family. He's actually going to be a granddad here real soon. So, <laughs> I mean, that's it, man. Life, we, we, it just kind of gets, gets ahead of you. We get old fast. But uh, I have a lot of dear friends. I'm so blessed. I left a lot of friends in Chicago. But uh, my best of all-time friends was David Hanson when I was coming up, when I was playing with the Dodgers. Very cool, and I'm sure as a broadcaster, it gives you a chance to, to see a lot of those familiar faces right. from the playing days and just kind of traveling around the league and seeing all the different teams and cities. And we have another fan ready to go in line. Go ahead, tell us your name, where you're from. It looks like you're uh, near the water there. Uh, and go ahead with your question for Todd. Um, I'm Matias, and I am from Connecticut. My question is, um, when you were younger, did you collect baseball cards? And if you did, oh. which one was your favorite? <laughs> a lot of great questions today. I'll tell you what, I was not only a baseball card collector, I was an avid collector. I was not only a collector, I was a trader of cards. That's what my friends and I, we used to do. When I was younger, see, now I'm in my mid-40s, so when I was about 30 years ago, all we had a lot of times were the baseball cards. We didn't have television the way that it was. We didn't have baseball games on TV every day. You could follow your local team, but you couldn't follow your you know teams more on the national level. So baseball cards were a great way to not only keep up with your favorite players, but to keep up with their stats, to keep up with their numbers, their stolen bases, their walks, their strikeouts, their runs scored. I loved it. Baseball cards were the greatest thing in the world. I had the folder. I had the, you know, the, they put your cards in the visor. I had I had 10 of those things. I must have had thousands of baseball cards. Of course, I don't have nearly any of them anymore, but uh, it was one of my favorite things to do. If I wasn't outside playing baseball, if I wasn't in the backyard playing wiffle ball or playing monkey in the middle, which we used to play all the time, which was a great game, if we weren't doing any of those things, we were, we were trading baseball cards. We were always talking baseball cards. I would tell you that my favorite was Mike Schmidt. Uh, growing up in Cherry Hill, just outside of Philly, uh, as a big, huge Phillies fan, uh, Mike Schmidt was easily one of my favorite players. I'd probably throw you Von Hayes as well. I loved Von Hayes. He was one of my favorites too. Yeah, and certainly some great Phillies teams back then in the Schmidt days and all of that. Back to social media we go, and Gold Notes wants to know, as a former teammate of David Ross, what did you think of his run on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> uh, man, David Ross is a good friend of mine. I actually just communicated with him uh, a little bit last week. I I'm so happy for him. Uh, I, and I guess maybe the, the, the right way to say it is this. David has handled himself like a true professional through everything he's done, all his life's experiences. And, you know, David will be the first one to tell you that he's pretty amazed at all the attention that he gets. But, you know, the role that he kind of 
you know, gravitated into in the later part of his career, which was, uh, you know, a backup catcher. And, and backup catchers are coaches, too. They just have these incredible roles. And, and he fell into a great system with the Chicago Cubs. They so desperately needed some leadership behind the scenes. And what happened to him in Chicago was just, it was just I, I'm so thrilled for him. And then you see how important and how respectful that younger generation of player was towards David Ross, which certainly helped build his more national resume, if you will. And he became a popular person. See, it took, it wasn't David Ross and all the accomplishments that he was making on the field. It was guys like Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, Nadison Russell, you know, kind of bringing David Ross into this and, 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 and giving him so much recognition and, and really telling everybody how the inside of a clubhouse works and how important David Ross was, even though he wasn't out there playing every day like they were. So it was great for him. I was thrilled for him. And David Ross is, uh, is a great example of a dad. He's certainly a great example of, of a human being and a great baseball player as well. In fact, I believe it was just last year he picked up his 100th homer. I was there for it, obviously covering the Cubs at the time. and kind of took me back to uh, the question that was asked of me a, a little while ago. But David Ross, in, in his run on Dancing with the Stars, it doesn't surprise me at all that he got as far as he did. In fact, I, I kind of thought he was going to win the whole thing. Chicago was behind him the whole way. Yeah, all the way to the finals. They carried him off the field after the World Series, and the city of right. Chicago, I think, carried him through the voting on right. Dancing with the Stars. Uh, another social True. media question. Walden45 wants to know, what pitcher did you fear the most back in your playing days? <laughs> what pitcher did I fear the most? Um, I'll tell you that I was very, very uncomfortable against, interesting, I, you know, we were just talking about the Philadelphia Phillies. I was very uncomfortable against Vincent Padilla because he threw very hard. He threw 95. I had a hard time picking him up, but he always had a way of throwing a cut fastball and kind of getting it in under my hands, and then he would throw a two-seamer. I was a left-handed hitter. Uh, he gave me fits. I, I was just very, very uncomfortable against Vincent Padilla. There were a few other guys that I didn't have maybe the, necessarily the best numbers against, but I kind of went through cycles against them. There would be some good patches, you know, two or three or four games in a row, but then there would be, you know, long stretches. Kurt Schilling is a great example of that. Uh, you know, he had periods, uh, you know, years where he dominated me and then I got to a couple hot stretches where I put up some good numbers against him as well but Vincent Padilla start to finish I think had my number. We get that question all the time and it's never a dominating pitcher that you'd expect to hear from a hitter it's always a guy like Vincente Padilla or, or someone like that. All right, we're actually right. out of time Todd thank you so much for joining us on the chatting cage. Absolutely thank you so much for having me. That'll do it for another edition of the chatting cage make sure you tune in again next time.